0: Well, we got a, a guest speaker here this evening that I'm looking forward to hearing
1: him uh, preach tonight. He's got a friend with him as well. I'm going to let you guys, Sheldon and Doug, introduce yourselves a little bit. Uh, Sheldon is a graduate here at Summit Pacific College. At the time, it was called Western Pentecostal Bible College back in 2001 in his grad year. Uh, so why don't you give it up for Sheldon Armitage. All right. Good evening. How's everyone doing? Good. I didn't get the memo that I was supposed to wear a turtleneck today, so... There we go, right? Those are really bright lights. Is it possible to bring them down just just a bit? All right. <laughs> Negative. Wow. I'm going to have a tan by the end of this. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it is really great to be back here. Um, a lot of memories came back as we were driving up the hill and coming into chapel. Um, just a quick bio: I am born and raised in Vancouver. Any born and raised Vancouver people? Exactly. When I was here at Bible school, the same thing. There was like five of us, and everybody was from Eastern Canada, right? If you're from Van- if you're from Vancouver, anything east of Hope is Eastern Canada. So, um, that's right. No. So it's, it's good to be back uh, here, and it's good to be able to share with you. Um, we're going to do things a little different tonight, if that's okay. Is that okay? Okay, good. Um, even if you said no, we're still going to do it different. Um, I'm, a, I'm a global worker, so you know, we are kind of different anyways to begin with. So we're going to do this in three parts tonight, okay? So I don't have a three-part sermon or three-point sermon, but we're going to do this tonight in three parts. The first thing we're going to do is the missions thing, okay? Complete with a slideshow and stats and pictures. So that's going to be the first thing we do. Then the second thing we're, we're going to do is um, a little improv interview uh, thing that my my friend Doug is going to help me out with. Um, we've been on the road a lot in the last few days. We've driven from Calgary to Canmore to Kimberley to Kelowna to Vancouver. So we've been in the car a lot together. So. You'll see a little bit of that. And then I'm going to share just a few musings from a a middle-aged white guy, if that's all right with you at the end. All right? Cool? Okay. And I totally cannot see the clock, so I don't know when I'm supposed to stop, so this is going to be great. Um, All right, so real quick, um, let's do the missions thing here. So I've been a missionary in Slovakia, or in Europe, since 2002, and this is kind of our family mission statement, you know... Our mission is to provide support, solution to global workers, not missionaries, right? Global workers, churches, and missional organizations, so they are encouraged and equipped to make a greater kingdom impact in Eurasia. And so, 2002, I left to work in the UK with an organization called Next Level International. We did leadership development, short-term missions, church planting all over Europe, was traveling around, working with pastors. Then, 2006, moved to Slovakia to uh, plant a church, part of a team there. We planted a church for a number of years and then um, also got involved in regional leadership, so uh, helping oversee different missionaries. How many of you feel a call to the mission field or overseas mission? Hopefully all of you. Yeah, okay. All right, good. If you want to know more about that sort of life, you can come talk to me afterwards and we'll get into that. Uh, During that time... um, had a family, so let's put the family up there. So that's my family. Um, yeah, um, that's my wife, Anna. She's uh, actually Slovak, and she's now a pastor in a Slovak church in Slovakia, a part-time uh, pastor. We have a uh, 14-year-old, Mia. She is very creative. She's always creating. She's very artistic, singing. Uh, Livia, she's 11. She's always moving, active, hates school, but loves uh, all things active. And then Stella, the youngest um, we say you don't meet her, you experience her. So uh, yeah, she's, um, she's something else. So that's the family. And so while we were overseas, had a family, um, started to get involved in different missional projects. Missions is very vast and wide. There's so many different ways for you to be missional all over the world. And So, like I said, we did leadership development, we planted a church, I got involved in anti-trafficking work with something called the European Freedom Network, which I'll tell you more about later. Um, Taught at a Bible college, um, pastored an international church, and have started to do some other things. So, you know what, it's not static, it's very dynamic, and your lives in ministry will be dynamic as well. So... Uh, Let's go to the next page here. Next slide. Click. Next slide. Um, So this is something that my daughter actually came up with. So just to encourage you, you're never too old, never too young to do ministry. She came up to me one day and she just said, Dad, there's nothing for like girls 10 to 14 at a church where we can just hang out, do like make art and just eat food. I'm like, okay, well, why are you telling me? And she said, I really want to start something. And I said, that's fine. You can start it. We're not going to do it for you. We might help you get it going, but you have to run it. So two years ago, she started something called Creative Hearts, um, gathers girls together from her school, from church, and they run it. There's no adults involved. We just have to be there for health and safety. You know that. She even went out and raised money uh, to to support this ministry. So, you know, just something that's happening. I don't know why. I just thought you should know that. Okay, next one. So really, this is, this is what I really feel my calling is, and our calling as a family, to be an internal organ in the body of Christ. Now, we know that there's hands, feet, big mouth, small mouth, noses, ears, but there's also livers, lungs, spleens, and kidneys in the body of Christ as well. And some of you in this room, that is what you are going to be called to. You're going to be called to internal support work, and you know what? It's a valid calling, because the body needs to be healthy, Right? The body needs healthy organs in order to be healthy. So for those of you who kind of maybe feel, oh, I don't know if I'm up front ministry or I'm, you know, this or that, but you have a calling maybe to, you know, the social services or you have a calling to support ministry, it's a totally valid calling. We need internal organs. All right, click, next one here. So this is one of the things we're involved in now. It's called the European Freedom Network. It's an anti-trafficking and sexual exploitation network in Europe. Um, We have over 200 organizations, charities, churches, NGOs, individuals who are involved in fighting human trafficking and sexual exploitation. And so this is everything from organizations who are on the streets working with uh, exploited people, primarily women, but uh, men as well all the way to people working in the European Union at the policy level, trying to get laws changed, to people in aftercare, to people in education, to people who are trying to create businesses. Because if you can stop poverty and give people opportunities, then stuff like this doesn't happen as readily. And so I'm on the board of that. And um, just a fantastic ministry. So once again, if... If you feel a, a sense of calling towards this or you'd like to know more about it, um, come talk to me afterwards. This is just a picture from our latest conference in Italy where we gathered together, prayed together, brainstormed together about how we can do something about this. And our, our, our tagline is really, with God and with each other, we're changing the situation. This is not a problem any one person can solve or any one organization, but we can hopefully change the situation so it doesn't happen. And it happens here in Canada. You just have to open up your eyes and be aware of what's going on around you. All right, next one. Uh, The Eurasia region. So if you choose to join us overseas in Eurasia, this will be your family. All right, these are some of our global workers who are working in all sorts of different areas from international churches to education to working with the poor and the marginalized in uh, different countries all over Europe and Western Asia. So if you feel a calling to that, come talk to me afterwards, because one of my roles is uh, as the assistant regional director, so giving leadership and help to people who feel a calling to that region of the world. And so if you are interested, come talk to me as well. All right, we're almost done here. One of the things that I'm really involved in a lot more is what we call missional facilitation. And this is all about helping people who have a vision and a passion of their own that God has given them, and maybe just get stuck. You know, sometimes you have a vision, you have a passion, you know what you want to do, you start doing it, then you get stuck somewhere. And you, you sometimes just need an outside set of eyes and, and ears to help help you move forward. And so that's what I'm trained in to do, that's what I do, is I work with uh, organizations all over Europe who, um, who are doing awesome things in society, who are bringing the kingdom of God in, in just really creative and different ways, but um, maybe just need a little bit of help to do that. And once again... You might feel called to that. You might be someone who's good at coaching, someone who is good at asking questions, someone who's good at helping people um, achieve success. And that's really what we want to do is help people achieve success. And so these are just uh, some of the organizations that I've been working with over the last uh, couple of years. Um, there's Choose Life Center, which is a uh, pro-life organization. Um, Pro-Life Crisis Pregnancy Center in Southern Europe. They're the only ones, and they're spreading like wildfire right now, which is great. Uh, Good Bureau, which is in Romania, which is all about helping business people have kingdom values. Uh, EFN, as I said. Uh, Propel, which works with Roma Gypsy communities, bringing education to marginalized and and poor, um, poor communities. So there are so many different expressions of God's kingdom out there. So many different ways for you to have a kingdom impact. Being a church pastor is one of them, and it's an important one. But there are multiple, multiple ways that the kingdom of God can be expressed. So that's the quick bio. That's some of the things I've been involved in and are doing. And like I said, I'm really happy to talk with you afterwards if you want to know more about going on the field or just uh, anything that I've said. So that's, all right, and scene. That's the mission side. Okay, so... Here we go. I'm going to invite my uh, friend Doug up. Doug, come on up. Give, give Doug a hand. Alright, so, like I said, I've been on the road. Um, I arrived here last Wednesday. I flew in from Slovakia. I arrived here last Wednesday um, doing some work with uh, Doug and his organization. And then on Saturday, we got in the car and we went on a road trip. Now, how many of you have done the trip from Calgary to Vancouver, okay? All right, yeah? Yeah, most of you, all right. It's fun, isn't it? Um, How many of you made a detour through Kimberley on your way? Yeah, a few of you, okay. So we went, like I said, we went Calgary to Canmore, to Kimberley, to Kelowna, and then to Vancouver. So we spent a lot of time in the car together, haven't we? All right, so... What we're going to do is I want you to picture we're in a car together here. Well, it's in England because you were driving, so it would be on that side of the road. And um, yeah, just go with it, all right? This is either going to be amazingly successful or completely terrible. We're going for the first one here. All right. Okay.
0: Uh, So my name's Doug, and apparently I'm supposed to sit here and interview Sheldon. Um, because he's supposedly the most interesting person in the room. Supposedly. I disagree. I think I'm much more interesting. But alas, the two of you invited Sheldon. So I have a better story. Um, <clears throat> so the amount of time we've spent in the car is 21 hours, 43 minutes, and 2 seconds.
1: That is accurate. He would and be the one to figure that out. So What's
0: been interesting for me is watching the last three days as you get... You amped yourself up for this? I did, I did. And uh, I am curious to know
1: why you're so flippin' nervous. All right, so... That's the scene, all right? So we're driving. You weren't supposed to bring them in. There's a space there. All right, so we're driving. Well, to be honest, you know, the reason I've been so nervous is it was 18 years ago that I was here. A lot has happened, and... I know when I was here, I heard a lot of sermons, like a thousand and one sermons, okay, and so the whole time i 've been thinking about this i 'm like, do I what type of sermon could I actually preach that would you know is it going to stick and then I thought, okay if i don 't do a sermon, maybe I could just do something inspirational right but I'm not an inspirational kind of character, you know that. And then I thought, well, maybe I could pretend I'm from, you know, I'm from their future, you know, cuz I'm 42 years old. So here, you know, words from the future, but I'm actually from the past <laughs> and their future looks completely different than what reality I'm living right now. So to be honest, I it's it's all about relating. I was like, how on earth am I going to relate to the people in the room? So, yeah, so I've been racking my brain. Racking my brain about how to do that. Yeah, uh,
0: the other thing I forgot to ask. Why are you my friend?
1: <sighs> do we have time for this? I'm your friend because, you know what? Actually, the first moment I met you, I couldn't stand you. I remember that. I remember that. And you know that because I've told you that. might have used other words. but um, But it was one of those things where actually as we got to know each other and as we opened up to each other um we realized actually there's some different things about life that we share in common and um i don't know you you're just fun to be around i can get along with anybody though so thanks for that uh
0: somewhere uh somewhere i was white knuckling it over the connector between uh merit and Kelowna.
1: That's true. And
0: while I was doing that, you were chirping all the way about something. Yes. And what sounded really interesting to me, but I only caught 10% of it, is you went off on how preachers preach about calling yes. and how you disagree with it. So let's hear
1: well, the full no, story that I missed. Yeah, so because you missed the 90%, you didn't get all of it. But so, yeah, you know what? Calling is such a such a misunderstood but really important thing. Like for me at least in the last few years, you know, call it a midlife crisis. I don't know what you want to call it. I really wrestled with this idea of, what does calling actually mean? You know, I was... At 15, I felt like I was called to be a pastor. But we know how that worked out, right? I mean, these guys don't know, but you know how that worked out. Um, And I was doing a whole bunch of things. And I was actually pastoring at the time when I was questioning calling. So, um, I remember vividly preaching a series on work and on calling i think that's totally important people need to know about the value of work and as i'm trying to tell people your work's important you know your work at at&t or your work at ibm it's important and giving all the reasons i was thinking but is my work important and that's a weird thing for a pastor to think right especially if i bought into this idea of what calling actually means and so kind of set me on a little journey to discover that vocation or calling is really important but often misunderstood, you know. So I know I have a calling and that, you know, my definition, my understanding of calling is it's your greatest joy and the world's greatest need kind of intersecting. And I was miserable though as a pastor. I was just totally miserable trying to be a pastor within a calling that, wasn't mine and so um so i was really passionate about other people finding their calling you know like what's your calling what's your vocation what is god calling you to do and it just finally struck me that wait a minute i'm not called to be a capital p pastor you know in a church in this setting and yet i'm trying to do that and as i was doing that i realized you know what um i'm putting out 130 percent effort and i'm getting like 70 percent results because I'm not actually operating in the vocation and the calling that God has for me. And so I think calling's super important, and you need to go in a process of discovering that. Um, and that's what you know the last few years was. It was just trying to understand what, what calling really is. Uh, so many of the people here are
0: going to be subjected to some abusive messages about calling,
1: mm-hmm.
0: where somebody's going to twist themselves in knots, to say, now, if you work at 7-Eleven, yep. that's as important as me preaching
1: to you. So right. what advice do you have for people who are subjected to that? Right. Um, I would say, I have a big picture of what it means to do meaningful work. So if you, like, here's, here's the reality, um, and I wish someone had told me this, but Many people in my grad class and in my years never went into traditional full-time ministry. In fact, my, my five or four best friends, none of them went into pastoring or working in a church, actually. Were they not called? Of course they were called, but they ended up finding that calling in different professions and different expressions of, of, of the kingdom. And so I would say it's something we all have to wrestle with, for sure, like if you're called to ministry what expression does that look like um, you know and it's it's all about what is you know what is god's design for you you know so for those who are actually called really called to be a pastor in a church that is a beautiful thing like we need pastoral pastors i think one of the worst things we did to pastoring in the last 20 years was really overemphasize leadership and we actually lost the pastoral gift. Um, And there are some really gifted people, like my wife, Anna, she's way more pastoral. She actually likes people, Um, which helps if you're going to be a pastor, right? But you can be pastoral in the workplace as well. You know, you can be a pastor at, you know, the yoga studio if you end up working there, or a Jamba Juice or whatever. You know, like you can be pastoral. You can be a, a prophetic voice. And so it's all about God's design. And so I had to go on that journey of saying, what are... I actually went to counseling during that period of time. And I had a counselor say to me, well, what is it that you really love doing? Because I, was just, I just said, I'm miserable. I'm a missionary and I'm miserable. I'm a pastor and I'm miserable. I'm not supposed to be because I'm called. And she said, what do you really love doing? Make a list. And so I made this long list of things. And she said, okay, you know, circle the ones that you really love doing. And so I did that. And I noticed none of them were about pastoring or being a leader. All of them were about working with groups facilitating conversations, helping people move from point A to point B. And it was like this light went on. Oh, well, wait a minute. Maybe that's God's design for me. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to actually be pursuing. And so it took me a while to break out of this mold that, no, if I'm called to ministry, it has to look like A, B, C.
0: Uh, I think it was like eight years ago now. Yeah. Uh, You and I started a company. Yes. And its tagline was, it really is possible to set the human spirit free at work. Is that still true for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is one of the greatest things that any of us in this room can do, no matter what profession we actually end up, is it's our job to really see the human spirit set free at work. Now, what does that mean? That means people feel that their work matters. People feel like they can bring the best of who they are into whatever job, be it pastoral or be it financial. People can really express their creativity. Um, and people can be in a place where they know that they're accepted or cared about and taken care of. And if managers aren't going to do that, why wouldn't the people of God who are in those workplaces do that? So
0: uh, so describe a little bit more about, you talked about the lungs thing, yeah. um, <clears throat> which fun that you picked lungs and not appendix yeah well, but <clears throat> for yourself um talk a little bit more about what does it mean to for god's design on your life
1: right be more specific be more specific you're, you're just pressing me boy i hope, hope we get to uh, summit soon we're driving right no um <laughs> well, so,
0: <clears throat> so you said it was 18 years ago
1: yes 18 years ago that's right
0: so, 18 years ago, you thought you had it figured out. Yep. 18 years ago, you were convinced you had it figured out.
1: Yeah, I was. Yeah.
0: And you shaped your life that way. I did. And are like, what's changed?
1: Uh, 18 years has changed. I mean, all the different expressions of ministry. I mean, I got bored easily too, so I I found myself jumping from different things to different things. But then, and I, I actually during that process of figuring out what my calling was, I look back on my life and I'm like, I've been involved in so many things. And what does it all mean? Like, what's the meaning? We always want to search for meaning in everything. And what does it all mean? And, you know, this counselor I've seen said, well, really your first 40 years are actually preparing you for your next 40 years. I'm like, oh, geez, that's comforting, right? So I've, I've only just learned this. But, back to your question... I learned that I really like being behind the scenes. You know, like lungs, I really like giving energy and, you know, um, air to people who are out there running, doing the, doing the work. You know, there's people that need, you know, need encouragement. They need someone to come alongside them and say, you know what, it's going to be okay. You can do this. You can figure it out. Um, we can, you know, we can go forward together. So, um, yeah, I just realized I really like that behind-the-scenes work, and I really like asking people questions. I really like helping people find solutions.
0: So then what were the things that you believed when you stepped out of Summit that you don't believe now?
1: Hmm. Good question. Um, I think I believed I was going to change the world. Um, you know, I grew up with a lot of different... Uh, good sermons at Youth Convention and History Maker where, you know, I, I could go out and be that one. I was going to change the world. Um, I don't believe that anymore. Um, I believe that, you know, success looked a certain way. Um, meaning size of, size of church, size of ministry, uh, response of people. I don't believe that anymore. Um I think I believed that um yeah, you know, the whole the whole journey of missions is a life of faith and I think I believed that um God was always going to bail me out of bad situations and I don't believe that anymore in the same way. He still is present and helps, but he doesn't just bail me out of something a mistake that I make. Um yeah. Uh,
0: as you've gone through that, what is the absolute toughest uh, memory mm. moment that you have from that last 18 years and learning all of that and get ri- getting rid of it?
1: Yeah, the toughest memories. That's good. Um, probably some of the relationships that I hurt along the way in trying to figure out my own issues and problems and, you know, getting other people involved. So, you know, maybe. Having used people to get towards a certain end, and then looking back and realizing that that wasn't that wasn't great. Um, So another tough situation has been um, just some of the pain of real life. Going through some of the ups and downs of real life. um, You know, life happens even in ministry. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. So go ahead and be specific.
1: Um, I'm not going to. No. Um, Yeah, you know, just recently my wife's uh, mother-in-law was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and so watching somebody that you love fade in front of your eyes and having to mourn their loss while they're still present. um, You know, we use the expression, we've only cried half our tears every time we visit her. Um, And in those moments, wondering and questioning... I believe a theology of miracles and a God who can intervene at any moment, but it doesn't look like that is going to happen here. So then what is, how do we deal with that? How do I watch my wife carry the burden of losing her mother in front of her? Um, Yeah, so that's, you know, that's some real life stuff that you say you're in ministry, you say you believe this, but um, the truth is something very different to that, so.
0: Uh, <clears throat> give me a few examples of things you did believe when you left Summit that you still believe now.
1: Mm. You know, one of the biggest things that I I really loved studying at Summit and did a lot on my own, but I had some good, really good props was um, the resurrection. How absolutely vitally important that is. Like, I hold very loosely to many of the dogmas and. Statements of faith that I came out of Summit with. Am I allowed to say that? Sorry. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Um, but I hold tightly to very uh, a couple. And one of them is the resurrection. And not just Jesus' resurrection, but my own resurrection that will happen one day. I hold very tightly to that. Because without that, what's the point? So that started here at Summit, actually. And so I hold very, very tightly to that. Um, what's another thing I believe I really do believe in the power of the church Um, but not in the ways that maybe I did believe but I really do believe the church is so vitally important Um, it's important as a community of people coming together it's important that it's a presence in whatever community it's planted I believe it's a place that um, can actually offer care, love and, um, and a prophetic voice Um, so, I came out of Summit not, yeah, never, um, disparaging the local church, but actually feeling even more connected to it. And, you know what, I came out of Summit believing that God really did have a plan and purpose for my life. I still believe that, I just don't necessarily believe it's the way I thought he was going to do it. So, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that I figured out, or at least it was helpful for me in the last couple of years, was this idea that God's will isn't necessarily a straight road map from point A to point B. And in fact, even that road map or um, you know, pathway imagery wasn't helpful for me because my life had gone all over the place. I'm like, well, where's it going to? And actually, the, the metaphor that was more helpful for me, and all metaphors have limitations, was actually God's will is more like a canvas, and he allows us to paint on his canvas. And he says, you know, I'm creating something beautiful. You get to paint on it. And so I take my little bit of paint and I try to make a picture that fits in with all the other pictures. And, you know, if I make a mistake, in in roadmap theology, if you make a mistake, you take a left turn or a right turn and you either miss the destination altogether or you've got to come back onto it. But in canvas kind of metaphor theology, if I make a mistake, God comes along and says, okay, that was interesting. We're going to make that into a tree. (laughs) You know, and it's this idea of, you know, Hebrews tells us, you know, Jesus is the author and the perfecter or editor of our faith. And that gives me comfort that as I go along and I make mistakes, those mistakes don't take me outside the, the will of God. Those mistakes don't cancel the calling that God put on my life. Those mistakes don't, you know, erase me from, you know, the story he's creating. But those mistakes, God is redemptive. And he comes along and says, okay, that was interesting. We're going to correct it. And you can keep painting. And you keep going. And that's, for me, the will of God is much more about the art that God is creating in, in his world and in his kingdom than just getting me to a destination.
0: So I'm a little bit selfish.
1: I know that. Trust me. <clears throat> 21, 21 hours in the car. No. Uh,
0: all of those things that you've held on to for 18 years, I want to know how they have directly affected our relationship and how you've treated me.
1: Mm. Mm. Then I'm going to take you for a tuna fish sandwich after this, right? Um, how have they affected us? Hmm. Yeah, so, okay, here's how they've affected us. Um, It's
0: a broader question than that. What's the implications to the the relationships in your life? Um,
1: So my my view of church has expanded, okay? So while I said the local church is important in a community, my view of the church and what God is doing in the world is very broad. And so I see what you're doing in the nonprofit world in, in Calgary and around Canada as kingdom work. You know, you and I have talked about this, that... You're pastoring people where you are, and so when we are able to talk or we're able to send each other messages, you know that's a that's a that's a church connection. You know that's that's part of my connection to to church. So that's that's giving me a broader view. Um, you know how it says it affected me. I really just I want people to really get and understand resurrection theology in the sense that. G- new creation is what God is after you know throughout the whole New Testament God is doing new creation and so that means we're involved in the work of new creation now and so you know what you do in your workplace what you do in your community if is it bringing things to life you know is it actually speaking hope speaking life is it actually creating opportunities for people to experience the kingdom and so I know that that's you know I've seen you and we've worked together so I know that that is what you're doing in your way. So yeah, that's become one of my strongest messages anytime I get to speak or preach now is God's doing new creation in all of us. You know, and it's not just that verse from Second Corinthians, you know, you're a new creation, hooray. But that's in the context of God is doing new creation all around us. And if we can grasp that and if we can think about that, regardless of whether you pastor a church for the next 40 years, or you try it out for two years and say, ah, you know, this really wasn't for me, um, you still, you're a person of resurrection, you're a person of new creation, and if you're involved in helping restore dignity and worth and value to people, and you're doing it in in the name of Jesus, if you're involved in reconciliation work, if you're involved in, you know, helping the marginalized and the poor, then that's, that's new creation work, that's resurrection work.
0: Uh, what's your expectation for the next 18 years?
1: That I keep figuring this out. Of being my friend. Oh, being your friend. <laughs> 18 years, eh? <laughs> um, yeah, no, that, that we continue to push each other and have more road trips. No. Um, yeah, the next 18 years, I don't know. Just to figure this out and uh, figure out what it's preparing me for because everything's preparing you for something else.
0: Uh, So I met Sheldon in 2005, so I haven't known him 18 years. Um, But he certainly is the person uh, in my life that has stuck through the last 14 years in exactly the way the Bible talks about iron sharpening iron. And uh, I think that iron sharpening iron is not so much about sharpening. What Sheldon's done in my life for me is that he has rounded out the rough edges. So that I can uh,
1: stand to have a conversation with you. So. I'm, 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 God, I'm God's sandpaper for Doug's life. So there you go. <laughs> B. There you go. All right. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna move into the final part. Is that okay? All right. You still with us? All right. Okay. Here we go. So Doug's not not wrong in that when he said um, I had a lot of nervousness uh, as I prepared for for coming here. And I don't know why. I mean, I can usually uh, crack off a sermon pretty quick or, you know... I like, to, I like to study. I, even, I was just like, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? And Kim sent me some helpful stuff. And I was like, okay, that's good. Like, eh, what's going on? And I went back through my archives. As you do, always save your sermons. Let me tell you, that will bail you out in many situations if you're going to. Um, but there's nothing there. I'm just like, no, what's going on? And, um, and I just, like I said, you know, you're going to hear a thousand and one sermons. For some of you, this is your first year. This is like candy, right? Yay, every day you get to hear a sermon. Come, you know. For some of you, third years, fourth years, you're like, oh my goodness, not another sermon, right? Um, or maybe not. Maybe you love it. I don't know. And, you know, I thought maybe I could, you know, do some, you know, life leadership hacks. Everyone's hacking away at everything, right? But I, I don't have anything like that. So I, it, I just came back to the topic, living faith. You know, what does that mean? Um... And it just was, faith requires us to be. It just requires us to be a certain way. And um, if you need a verse from the Bible, and if you like the Bible, which I do, um, I'm, I just want to read this verse. And I'm just going to share very shortly a couple thoughts, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. But this is from Philippians 1, um, 3 to 6. And this is especially... Uh, important for you as you're going through Bible school, to remember this, especially when you hit third-year cynicism or whatever it is that happens. Um, Remember verse number six. But this is Paul talking to his uh, friends in uh, Philippi. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So the work, the good work, not just the work that God's doing in your life, the good work that he's doing, it's going to be ongoing. It doesn't end when you graduate or leave Summit. It's ongoing. And God is constantly doing good work in your life. It says until the day of Christ Jesus. So, you know... You're either dead or Jesus comes back, but that work is ongoing, okay? And I, it's just a good reminder that while you're here at Bible school, this is the chance to experiment, to try things out, to have bad theology, you know, it'll get corrected, to, um, you know, to, to, like I said, just to, to do different things, because that's part of the good work that God's doing in you. When you go out into ministry, when you're given uh, your first pastoral role, or you go into other aspects of ministry that good work will continue. God will bring sandpaper into your life, you know, to rub rub off those edges. God will uh, allow different things to happen in different ways so that you can experience him differently. Um, So I'd written down a bunch of, you know, cue cards like a talk show, right? Um, And I'm not going to use all of them because there's a lot here, but I'm just going to pick a couple, just randomly pick a couple here and share what it means to be in a life of faith. And w- the first one I'll start with is, just be simple. Be simple. Um, the longer I'm alive, the more I crave simplicity. The more children you have, the more you crave simplicity. The more responsibility you have, the more you will crave simplicity. Anyone can make things complex. Okay? Any, any dummy can make something complex. Um, Ecclesiastes says, the more the words, the less the meaning, right? Right? How many of you sat through a sermon that should have been over, you know, at the 10-minute mark and it went to the 30-minute mark, right? Because we're afraid sometimes that, oh, if I stop after 10 minutes, people won't think I know what I'm talking about. Um, but the Bible says, the more the words, the less the meaning. My jo- one of my jobs is to really help people simplify the complexity in their lives. And, um, you know, big plans that maybe lack focus. And so, be simple. Um, a saying that I came across, not from the Bible, so don't go looking it up, but it's, people aren't dumb, the world is just hard. And the longer you're alive, you realize, you know what, people aren't that dumb. You might think they are, but the world's just hard. And the world is a hard place for, and I'm, I'm a privileged white guy, so the world hasn't been that hard to me. But for other people, the world's been very hard and people that you will pastor in your churches, the world will have been very hard for them. And so, help simplify things. Not simplistically, but um, simplify. The Bible's full of examples, like the Ten Commandments. That's a simplification of God's laws. Um, the book of Ecclesiastes says, here's the end of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. Um, Jesus' words, love God, love others. If you, if you ever get stuck in what you're supposed to do in life and ministry... Love God, love others. It's simple, right? Or Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, that one's easy, right? Love your neighbor. And love your enemy. So you're kind of stuck. You've got to love everybody, right? Simple, but not easy. Very difficult to do. So you've got to wrestle first with the complexity to get to simplicity. And for those of you who are going to be great Bible teachers and great pastors, and great communicators, you will have to wrestle with complexity as you preach your messages. For those of you who are going to be great leaders and managers, you'll have to wrestle with the complexity of of human existence in order to lead in simple but profound ways. So be simple. Be simple. Um, Be present. Be present. Most of you will minister. If you continue on in the pastoral way... Most of you will minister in obscurity. You will go to small towns. I drove through some of them. You will not be in big churches with big staff, big budgets. That's just the stats. You will be in small churches in eastern Canada, according to me. Um, and the best advice I was ever given, though, from, was from a pastor who had been through long church. He said, you only see fruitfulness in a church after five years. So if you can stick with something for five years and the stats don't show that that's the average stay of a pastor, even less for a youth pastor, five years is when you start to see fruitfulness. You'll see good things happen in those first couple years, but real fruitfulness happens after five years. Um, When we took over the international church, it had about 40 people, 30 people... uh, you know internationals they come and go um by 18 months it had shrunk down to six so that was real good church growth right um but we just kept showing up because god had called us there god had put us there kept showing up um when your church shrinks you know what's really good about that you can reshape culture you can start to do the things that you need to do in order for it to see to see it grow um fight the urge to run fight the urge to run, especially when things get difficult or challenging or your your friends on Instagram are posting, you know, stuff from the stage of their last worship set, you know, and they got all the lights and the smoke machine and you know you're playing a ukulele or whatever <laughs> for, you know, 20 people who are over the age of 80. Um, <laughs> fight the urge to run. Instead, be choose to be present for the community that you are called to pastor. And I don't mean the community of the church. I mean the whole community. This is something that Doug and I talked about. And this was Doug's profound wisdom. So I'm not going to claim it as my own. When you are put into a church or into a place like Fernie or Tumbler Ridge or you know, fill in the blank, small town BC. You are not pastoring 20 people but 2,000. We have to recapture this idea of the parish. Meaning the church is in the center and you pastor everybody. Whether they know it or not, you are pastoring them. And you can only do that if you're present. And it will take years sometimes to build that up. In the mission world, we get this, I think, a little bit better than here. But you've got to contextualize. You've got to be present. The the locals have to trust you. And we can't do that if we're running off to the next opportunity. Ministry is not necessarily about the next best thing but it's about being fully present where god has put you um presence matters we we use the expression the body of christ and it's a nice picture metaphor we think oh that's lovely but have you actually thought that maybe the body it's actually christ's body in the community and so what christ wants to do how he wants to move who he wants to speak to is done through you the church And you can't do that if you're not present. So, be present. Uh, We'll skip that one. Um, And that one. Okay. Um, Be loud, though, as well. Uh, The church really needs to have a prophetic voice in society. I'm absolutely convinced of that. But not just for our status quo. Not just to keep things the way we like it. Okay? We need to have a prophetic voice. The things we need to be speaking out against, though, are idolatry and injustice. Those two things always go together in the Bible. Anywhere you have idolatry, you have injustice. And idolatry is just simply those things that we allow to be our gods. And we allow them in society. Money, sex, power, fame, those are all idols. And whenever we worship idols, and by worshiping I mean give Give away our authority to them. Put them in high priority. There will always be injustice towards other people. We will always treat people poorly. So we see this in economic exploitation. We see this in sexual exploitation. We see this in uh, the way we uh, treat people in leadership. Or the way people in leadership treat other people. Because we've created idols that we worship. And we worship them in the church. Not just in society. And so we need to be speaking... Out against them. That's one of the reasons why I'm involved in the anti-human trafficking work is because um, there's idolatry that is causing injustice. Now, someone said, well, isn't that a woman's issue? Because it's, you know, sexual exploitation, you're dealing with women who are, pro- are being prostituted. Isn't that a woman's issue? Um, and I said, no, it's actually a man's issue. Because um, without demand, there's no supply. Right? Without... You know, and without pornography, there's no uh, distorting of our view of women. And, you know, guys, I'm going to speak directly to you. If that's an idol, you need to get it sorted. Because it will lead to injustice. And I know women, too, can be exposed to it as well. And we have a sexual idol in our society that we need to get sorted. But it it is a man's issue as well. And... We may not be the ones on the forefront, you know, uh, shouting it out, but we need to be shouting towards each other, you know, man to man, saying this is something that matters to God because we have caused great injustice in that way. Um, Yeah, so be loud against the things that are causing injustice in your community that you will be put in. But also be quiet. Um, A prophetic voice requires a posture of listening. Um, we need to listen to those who are different than us. I need to listen to those that have been marginalized and oppressed. And I don't need to give them solutions. Um, Because I haven't lived the situation, right? How do I know how to solve that situation? But I can listen. Sometimes just the act of listening and humbling yourself creates the space where dialogue happens. And within true dialogue really powerful things can take shape. We need to be present and be quiet to those who are suffering sometimes. Um, You will hear terrible things. You will hear horrible things when you pastor. Or when you just minister in your workplace and you open your life up to other people and people trust you. And none of which you will be able to solve. But you can be present. You know, like... You can be in the fire with people. We need to have a deeper theology of presence. That, you know, where is God when we're suffering? You know that question? God makes it very clear that he works through human agents. The whole Bible is that. Jesus is a human agent. Fully God, fully man. We get that. That was how God wanted to deal with all the sin, power, evil of the world. Through human agency. So where is God when, when bad things happen? Look around. And that should be what people see when bad things are happening to them. That God is truly present with them. Because you are there, you are present, and you are being Christ to them. So, learn how to be quiet, too. We're a, our, well, listen, Pentecostals, our whole thing was built on noise, right? That's how it all started. So, sometimes, let's learn to be quiet. Um, okay, I'm going to wrap up here. Okay. Um, and I think we already talked about that. Um, let's see. Be lost. No. Uh, nope. Hold on. Okay. Yeah. All right. This is... Um, be lost. Um, you're not going to be able to avoid this one. Um, there will be a period of life that you will go through where you will question what is all this about? Okay, I'm still in that process. I know some of them, people who are older and wiser than me have gone through this, but it's usually around the age of 40 for guys. I don't know why, it's cliche, but it kind of happens. Um, I think it's because all the main milestones in your life have passed. You graduated, you got married, you had your kids, you got your mortgage, you got a job, you lost a job, you bought a car. You know, like all these milestones that we've created in society. By the time you're 40, you've more or less passed them. And so that's when the questions about meaning and purpose really Take root. And um, don't fight it. I remember waking up one morning just feeling just totally overwhelmed and just discontent with life. And just this thought came into my head, oh, so this is a midlife crisis. All right. But then another voice said, yeah, you need to go through it, but if you go through it with me, you're going to be okay. And that brought me back to that verse in Psalms. You know, even though I go through the darkest valley... I will fear no evil, right? And we wonder why do we need to? Why do we even need to go through dark bellies? Jesus, is just taking me through the sunlit fields with you know daisies and everything like that. No, it says even though I go through, you will, you you have to go through dark moments. That is the human experience. But the question, came, the the realization came back to me. But Jesus already went through all this, even to the point of death. So why wouldn't I want someone who knows the way to lead me through it? And it's easy to get lost in the dark and um, you will be lost at times and you even need to go on a journey of losing things. There's some things like, you know, Doug was trying to pull out of me a little bit better and more, you know, for me to be a little bit more articulate about the things I've lost along the way. But you will go on a journey where you lose things. Question some things, some dogmas. Question some ways that you've acted and treated people. Question, question some things that are actually, you think are valuable now but really aren't valuable. But here's the thing to, remind, to remember, if you go through those dark moments, and when you go through those times of questioning, Jesus never loses a sheep. Right? I mean, I know that sounds like something you put on a bumper sticker. Hey, Jesus never loses a sheep. But, you know, it was one of the, one of the parables he told, right? That the 99 get left, all the good, obedient sheep get left, because Jesus does not believe in acceptable losses. He doesn't lose a sheep. He goes out and he finds it. Um, and so that's one of our favorite sayings in our, in our household. When it's, Even when our girls lose a toy, we pray because Jesus loves to find lost things. You know? And that might be your calling. That might be, actually be your calling. You get to go find lost things with Jesus. Wherever that takes you. I don't know. I, mean, I can't prescribe that for you. Um, and that's, the whole gospel is summed up in this. And, you know, this is where I'm going to close. So, there's the signal, worship team. You know, um, you know, the whole gospel. If you ever get, if anyone ever asks you, you know, if anyone, you know, that golden unicorn moment, someone says, hey, what, tell me about the gospel. If anyone ever asks you that, what is the gospel all about? Don't give them four points. Don't try to start with, you know, the big bang and work your way from there. Tell the story of the prodigal son. Like, that's the gospel, right? That's the gospel. That's, that's what Jesus did. He told the story of the prodigal son. And in the end, it's the father who's looking for the, the son. Even though the son says, I'm going to go back to the father... There's that verse that says, "When he was still a long way off, the father saw him. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know my ancient near history that much, but they didn't have binoculars back then. Right? Which means the Father was looking for his son. And you know that's what Jesus loves to do: find lost things. And so be found. As the psalmist writes, even the darkness is light to you. So there's no place that's so dark in society. However, we want to define darkness where the light of God isn't already shining. And that's actually what calling really gets summed up. Is where is God already at work inviting you to join him? That's calling. He's calling to you. He's saying, come, I'm here. And this is perfect for you. This is perfect for who you are. So come. Maybe it'll be, you know, Battlestar Galactica Church. I don't know. Maybe it'll be, you know, a church of six people, five of whom are related. I don't know. You know, maybe it's going to be to, you know, the brothels in Southeast Asia. Maybe it'll be to bay street in toronto and you're you're gonna make billions of dollars i I don't know you know i i don't know i'm not god but just know that this is his world he is at work within it there is nowhere that's so dark that he does not want to find lost things and so part of what you're here is to start the journey of understanding god's voice that's saying come over here this is where i'm calling you and you may get there, and you may only stay there for a little bit. That's fine, because you're listening to the voice of God, and he's calling you. You're not listening to the voices of success and fame, and you know you can have a better gig if you go over here. And along the way, the voice will change, and you follow, and it may not always make sense, but all you know is you're involved in new creation. You're helping Jesus find lost things. And you're discovering more and more about who God has made you to be, and you go back to that verse that says, Oh, right, you began a good work in me. And you're completing it. Slowly, by step by step, dark moment to good moment, pain to joy. If we entrust that to God, He's going to complete the good work. And you know what? You got nothing to worry about. You got nothing to worry about. So I'm not a very good closer, so I'm going to bring in Gavin. You seem like a good closer, so. Um, but I just—if I can pray for you guys, that'd be cool. And then um, we'll see. Oh, thank you. Yeah, those aren't that valuable, but all right. Can we stand together and just, um, yeah, get some blood flowing? And um... Lord, thank you that you have found us. Lord, we were all lost. We were all in darkness. Um, but even before that, Lord, you created us. And you gave us a good work to do. So, Lord, I pray for everyone here that they would be on that journey of finding the good work that you have called them to do, Lord. And it might just be being a good citizen in a community, running for office one day it might be working in a library it might be um, it might be raising a family of strong and wonderful children, it might be working in the upper levels of government Lord it might be people who go overseas it might even be some people Lord who pastor because you've called them to be shepherds and so Lord I pray that this would be a moment now for some that they just start that journey of calling really start to understand what that means. Holy Spirit, I pray that they would entrust the journey to you. They would entrust the journey to you. Lord, they would look for where you are at work and where they can get involved into that work. Lord, thank you for the invitation, the calling to all of us to be like Jesus. Jesus.